Welcome to the Tomato Tomato Podcast. This is the movie podcast where we discuss Rotten Tomatoes reviews and the movies with them. I'm Chris. And I'm Jenna. Hi, Jenna. Hi. As if we haven't been talking for like an hour and a half trying to get this stuff set up. What are you talking about? Technology always works yes, whenever it, we want it, it to. It obviously does. We're obviously professionals here. Clearly. We are nothing but professional. We are so professional. All right. So, yeah. So, just to kind of run down how our format works. Um, each week, we will be discussing a movie, or sometimes it will be bi-weekly. Um, we have a couple of those lined up for the near future. Um, we were plotting out our schedule, and it was kind of exciting. We will look at a movie, and we will look at its Rotten Tomatoes page, you know, everyone's favorite or least favorite movie aggregating service. Um, and then we will figure out good reviews and bad reviews from there. And we will take them and we will kind of comment on the movie itself as well as how the movies are reviewed and whether or not we agree with the particular reviews. Basically, if, we're going to yeah. validate all the reviews. <laughs> <laughs> or we're going we're gonna to justify them or validate them or, yeah. Those are the, that's, the like same, that's the same thing. I'm redundant. <laughs> but, yeah, we'll just talk about – because in, in today's modern culture, there's almost as much of a difference in how movies are reviewed versus, versus like, just talking about movies themselves. So we wanted to take a thing that kind of combines the two. Because, you know, everyone has a movie that they go see something in the theater and they really like, and then all of a sudden they go online and they read the Rotten Tomatoes score or they read, you know, a certain review from someone that they really like reading the reviews of, and it's like, well, how the hell did you have that opinion on this movie? It's completely different from my opinion. So, or, or even before you see the movie, you get preconceived notions based on little snippets from Rotten Tomatoes, and it kind of informs your opinion going into the movie. Exactly, yeah. So yeah, so that's kind of our format. So we're going to do that. Each episode is going to be dedicated to one particular movie. We're not going to do the you talking you two to me thing where we're going to try to do like a whole trilogy or a whole series at once. No. And then we're going to realize, ah, fuck, we can't do this every week. So... No. So yeah, it'll be a movie a week, and we're just going to kind of talk about what we think about the movie, and then break down three reviews from the movie, uh, like of the movie, from different outlets, and figure out you know what we like and what we don't like about the reviews, and kind of use that to start a discourse about the movie itself. So and, and yeah. we're kind of choosing, and we're choosing reviews that kind of cover the range from rotten to fresh. So it's not all just rotten reviews or fresh reviews. It's, yes, it's a mix. Yes, and so we and we have it where if it's a movie that we have decided that we both like, then we will do. We'll always do one rotten review and one fresh review, and then the third review will be whatever differs from our opinion. So if it's a movie that we both like, then we'll do another rotten review. If it's a movie that we both didn't like, we'll do a fresh review. If we're on the fence about it, then we haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> but we'll <laughs> probably flip a coin or something. Yes, it's yeah, it's an experience. It's a journey. Yes. So come along with us as we figure this shit out. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we're learning. Um, but yeah, so our first movie on the agenda is the... Is it first of all, let me oh, preface yeah. by saying that I had not seen this movie uh, <laughs> well, so as was, of like a week ago. I was ago. going to get into that. I was going to get into that, babe. Okay. So, I'll, uh, yeah. So, okay. So the first movie on our agenda, which you could tell if you clicked on this episode, is the 2006 action thriller. That is a very weird way of classifying this. That's like underselling it as <laughs> it an action really thriller. Is. Like, come on. 
But so that, it, it, fuck, okay. I'm like, I haven't actually said the title of the movie. Um, so the movie is Crank, the 2006 action thriller directed by Mark Neveldine and Brian Taylor. And it stars Jason Statham and Amy Smart and Efren Ramirez, a.k.a. Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite. I almost said Monty Python. I don't know the fuck why. <laughs> um, but so, so yeah, so just to kind of give a little bit of a background, um, I had seen this movie a, a while back. Um, I, in high school, I was a huge fan of the How Did This Get Made podcast, which was in its early days at the time. And one of the very first episodes that they did was talking, it was like a double feature. It was Crank and Crank 2. And it was just them sitting there. And it was the first real episode of theirs where they weren't just talking about like a stinker of a movie that was like a genuinely bad movie. Their thing was like, this movie is so balls to the wall crazy. It's the weirdest thing we've ever seen. How the fuck did this actually get like studio backing and money behind it and like get actually get released in theaters and so they covered it and then they interviewed like a couple of episodes later they interviewed the directors and it was one of the most interesting interviews I've ever heard and at the time I hadn't seen the movies because I was just kind of starting to get into watching movies by myself and I hadn't really gotten a chance to watch them yet but then there was one Saturday randomly where I was just like fuck it I'm just gonna watch both of them like one after the other and so I sat during a Saturday morning this was like my Saturday morning cartoons uh-huh. And just watched Crank and Crank 2 and was completely, like, shocked at how ridiculous and how amazing these movies are. And so I bought the first one on DVD for, like, $2 at a bargain bin somewhere. And it was sitting in my DVD collection. And when we were hanging out at my apartment the other night, we decided to put it on. And Chris had never seen and- it before. It was a transcendental experience. <laughs> it really was. I, I honestly don't know how I hadn't seen this yet. It's just one of those things. It, I like even just as I was reading the reviews and thinking about it, I was like, oh, yeah, this was a thing that like people actually went to the theater to go see. Like that's just and it's amazing. That's mind boggling to me that that even happened because it's like and, and this is back in 2006 when I feel like this is like the burgeoning of jason statham like he's not really a household name yet well okay so one of the reviews that we talk about just to kind of give a little a little bit of a teaser one of the reviews talks about how the year before this he had done like the transporter 2 or something like that so he i mean he wasn't a household name at that point he hadn't found like the fast and the furious franchise and all that sort of stuff but he was like he was being more established as being this like insane action guy but yeah, kind of getting like a cult following at this point. Exactly. Yeah, it was like there wasn't really anything from him that like a lot of people knew, but it was enough to where it was definitely like, oh yeah, this is a, this is definitely a Jason Statham kind of movie. Because it's uh, you can instantly recognize that crazy balls to the walls action that he's now synonymous with. Yes, exactly, and also the weird ounce of like humor and craziness, which yes. is in my favorite Jason Statham movie, Spy which is such a perfect movie and so hilarious. And he absolutely steals the show in the weirdest possible way. Like he just talks like his, I like to pretend that like his character in that is a like continuation of Chev Chelios. Of his, <laughs> like if, I sure just have a whole like Chev Chelios connected universe exactly. where he just kind of weaves in and out of all these movies. <laughs> the crisis of infinite Chev Chelios. <laughs> Chev Chelios. <laughs> that would be amazing. Oh my gosh. Well, and the crazy thing is, is like, so I'm looking at the 
um, Wikipedia right now just to see a little bit of information because I'm like, it's crazy to me that this opened in theaters. It says that it opened in 2,515 theaters and grossed $10 million or $10.5 million. What was the, what, it had to have made its money back. It did. Cause, so it says that the budget was 12 and the box office was for, like $43 million. Because watching this movie, it it looks like it's made on the fly. <laughs> exactly. Like they had a loose idea of kind of a story uh, because it's a very kinetically made movie. It, there's never a moment where it slows down too much. It's always constantly moving from one thing to the next. And you, it, it's, it was like they were trying new things as they went along. It's like, oh, let's try this kind of scene or this kind of crazy action stunt. and But it works. Exactly. Uh, well, and like I was telling you when when I was trying to sell this movie to you, because there was a moment like a year or so ago when you like I think Crank Two was on TV, and you were like, "What the fuck is this?" And then I explained to you how amazing these movies are, and like how how much effort goes into their production value in a way that is not what's normally seen in Hollywood. And so just, I mean, like, it's so fascinating how Neville Dean and Taylor work with this movie because they're doing, they're trying things on such, like, a small budget, but they're, like, really stretching their money out of it. Like, they're doing crazy shit. And and they come from, like, a music video background before this. And so you can kind of tell that with how uh, scenes are shot, the way they use filters, and, uh, like, you can clearly, those mid... 2000s crazy like sepia filters or whatever they are they're everywhere i was just thinking of they have all these kind of what i i remember watching the movie and i said they have all these kind of edgar wright isms but like on a hard r it's like it's like if edgar wright like grew up in like a skate park instead of like yes. just a like more nerd culture kind of base it's very from like yeah. all the yeah like between all the the kind of split screen shots using uh, graphics uh, but I like those. It, it kind of cuts down on like the exposition because there's really not any because it throws you right into it. Like it's it feels like the third or second movie in a trilogy. Like there's all this stuff that happened before that we don't know about that we kind of figure out as we go along. Yeah, it's like I, I was saying it to him because like I haven't watched this movie in so long. Like, it's been a good, like, five or six years since I've seen this. And part of it was I I did, like, the double feature. So a lot of the plot points kind of blended together. But I hadn't realized plot-wise how little is actually explained at the beginning and how little is established. It's like, okay, you wake up, like, this is the premise. He needs to keep his adrenaline up or he's going to die. All right, fucking go. It's basically speed. Yeah. But... (laughs) He, it replaced the bus with a human. <laughs> okay, and, and, that's and by it. the way, to our listeners, every time we mention speed, because we will mention it when we get to the reviews, you are more than welcome to take a drink. <laughs> because that is one of the <laughs> biggest comparisons with this movie, is that it's speed mixed with um, Dead on Arrival, which I haven't seen yet, but apparently that was like... I haven't seen that, that Apparently either. that yeah. was like a noir version of this kind of premise, of like, guy mm. wakes up and suddenly he's like poisoned by like a drug thing or whatever i'm totally like that could totally not be the synopsis but that's what i get from the context clues. it's close enough i'll believe exactly it. yeah but yeah i was trying the to comments will correct yeah us. i was oh god the comments yeah um, i apologize in advance to anyone who wants to write angry comments and stuff but no, i i welcome <laughs> it i look forward to roasting oh you. boy no we're totally gonna do a what you talking you two to me did, which is just sit and read the like negative reviews and just laugh at them. Yeah. 
Hell, I'll be happy to get any reviews. Yes, so yes please, that too. They don't even have to be about me. You could leave like a Chili's review in our <laughs> review section. <laughs> Just do the Paula Tompkins thing where like we come up with like a weird copy that they need to write. It's like, I was dead inside until I found this podcast. Now my wife will talk to me again. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. I'm, I would be happy if I could like save people's marriages through this podcast like that yes. one. Yes. Yes. But yeah, I was trying to look because I, I was trying to half read through this article while we're talking, but I found like a a thing from a couple years ago of explaining like Neville Dean, Neville Dean and Taylor's like filmography and how they did stuff. And because I was trying to figure out because all their stuff says like music videos and commercials. And I was like, well, what in particular did they actually work on? So I couldn't find... I have a feeling I'm not going to be surprised at what music videos so they the are once you tell is, me. So the sad thing is that I can't find anything about their music videos, just on first glance. What? I, like, their IMDb doesn't have anything listed. It mainly just says, like, short films and stuff. Like, it doesn't mm. say anything in particular for, like, stuff that... I mean, I, I guess there's, like, short... These, these, like, shorts that are listed on here could technically be ones but i don't know there's also they're acting like neville dean and taylor have acted in things and like what they've acted as is kind of oh interesting so like they are in let me see neville dean is in this i don't know if taylor is but it says that neville dean is in an episode of it's always sunny so like as an uncredited role so i'm kind of looking over their filmography now and i'm just amazed but then not not surprised like it I know, yeah, because I have that light bulb moment. It's like, oh, god damn it, this makes sense. Yeah, so so for anyone um, who's not from, looking up their filmography right now, so so they're, they're so gamer yes, gamer is t- crank high voltage, fucking Jonah Hex. They were the screenwriter. Yes. Then next to Ghost Rider Two, Spirit of Vengeance, which is a masterpiece. We're probably going to cover it at some point on here because it is yes. it's something else altogether. It's so great. And most recently, they did Officer Down, which is, it makes sense. It's a balls-to-the-walls comic oh. uh, by Joe Casey and Chris Burnham. Oh, yeah. Uh, I had no idea that was them, but that makes total sense now from what I've seen of that movie. So now I really have to watch this one. Yeah. And, and Crank, yeah. it It's an insane experience, and it... it it's a movie that knows exactly what it is and doesn't try to be anything else. Exactly. Like, it's not trying to be a sort of conventional action thing. It's not trying to, like, I mean, it, it fits into genre things, but it almost does, like, this weird mix of genres that doesn't really make sense. Like, a lot of the reviews talk about how it's almost like a video game. Like, and it's more tropes about video games than tropes about action movies at this point. Yeah, because it really, it kind of has this very linear path it follows it doesn't kind of deviate a lot from chelios you're always kind of following him yeah and and all the crazy stuff he's getting up to yeah like there's like there's small scenes that don't have them in it but it's like i mean it's like so trev hangs up from a phone call with the doc like his weird doctor friend which that's a whole fucking thing in its own right um but so and it'll be like a 30 second scene of him just talking with like his sex worker friend or whatever <laughs> like which i'm still i'm still surprised that like dwight yoakam is actually an actor in this movie like i remember it, this, it's this one movie those, has just a weird cast it's so bizarre and it's one of those things where it's like did neville dean and taylor like know them how did they how did how how was this movie pitched to people 
Like, that's my, I, that's my question, because you can't necessarily... Jason Statham, I feel like this movie would have been easy to pitch to, but, like... And I don't think anyone else could have done this, but... God, no. God, no. Yeah. I can't see anyone else in this position, like, in this role. He plays, the, he plays a really good kind of straight man with this dry, sarcastic humor in this crazy, like, insane world yeah. around him. Exactly, yeah. But yeah, it's almost, it's interesting to me, and like High Voltage kind of has the same thing, the the sequel, um, where it's almost like there's a cast in it of like people that people know. It's like, well, okay, of course, that's that's that person. I recognize that person. Like, I'm looking at the cast for High Voltage, like one of the Spice Girls is in it, and like Corey, oh, Corey Haim is in it. But so it's like... Well, and we had that moment watching Crank, where we were like, oh, shit, that's Glenn Howerton yes. from It's Always Sunny. And this was a year before that show started. So this is like right before he started taking off. Which is a whole crazy thing in its own right. And it's crazy to me. I mean, it makes sense that then they acted on It's Always Sunny because he like has that relationship with them. But it's just kind of like, yeah, him as like a un, like unlisted cameo almost in this movie was just the craziest thing. It was like, oh shit, there's that guy. And then it, we spent the whole rest of the movie being like, well, wait, is that someone we know? That looks like somebody. Exactly. I was like, that yeah. looks like a like a fat John Oliver. <laughs> is he somebody? <laughs> like, it, it was just really weird. It was like, it, it it's such a, well, and it's so dated. That's like what's fun about watching really dated movies for me is like remembering that like, oh shit, this person who now has a whole other different career path was in yes. this weird movie. I feel like a person who hasn't really taken off from this or just kind of stayed in her lane was Amy Smart. Yes. Can we talk about Amy Smart? <laughs> yes, we can talk about Amy Smart. What in particular? <laughs> her role is just, it, it, she played it so easily. Like, she's like this ditzy girlfriend to Jason Statham's character. And, and she's very aloof and just kind of goes through life. I, 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 told, I told you, I'm like, she's in almost a completely different movie. She is. Like, it, she's just stumbled onto this this other movie. Yeah, which is, like, and, they're completely self-aware with how they're doing that. It's, like, they deliberately, like, that was meant for comedic effect of, like, her being yes. this super ridiculous caricature who, like, starts hiccuping while he's trying to, like, give her this important information and, like, dumps out her purse and tries to look through stuff and whatever. And it's really funny because it's such, like, a dated stereotype but it's still kind of there's elements of it where it's like okay she's a like i feel like everyone involved was aware of how ridiculous she was playing that character which like still makes it funny to laugh at now and she just so easily goes with the flow in this movie like yeah. one minute she's like oh no you don't kill people you work for this other like non-murder okay, company so, thing whatever so i figured that and out i was in one of the reviews they talk about what what she thought that he did for a living I've seen this movie several times. I never caught this. It was like video games. It was a video right? game designer. I'm yeah. like, okay, you're dating Jason Statham. Do you, <laughs> you think, think <laughs> that Jason Statham, looking the way that he does all this time, is a video game designer? God, <laughs> like, that just she's such a dit. But then when she sees him start like killing people, she's like, oh yeah, this is my boyfriend. He kills people. Don't yeah. fuck with him. Like she just completely <laughs> goes with it, and I I kind of love my that she favorite. doesn't have a moment of like, oh, oh my god, my you kill people. God. I I don't know if I want to be with you. No, she's like, yeah, well, I want to be with you. My favorite sequence in the movie is after she finds out that he is a hitman, 
and they're on the run. And this is after they've already had public sex on a like mailbox thing or like the thing that the, the thing that Which, holds newspapers. That scene. While a like gaggle of Asian tourists watches and giggles the whole time. Like that is in that is the midpoint of this movie is that scene happening and she she doesn't at, for one second I mean like for there's like 10 seconds where she's like wait what the fuck are you doing but then she gets into it and then the whole thing is so short that then she's like well wait what the hell and it's like I it's such a perplexing thing it's so surreal <laughs> like that's the scene, like how, like when they were pitching this movie. I want to see the studio executive's face, and it's like, fuck it, you know what? We're already this far we into it. Well. Whatever, Just we'll give you the, the money. Shark. Who gives a shit? But so then, but then, so that's the midpoint, and then in the third act, they're in a car trying to outrun all of the other hitmen, and he needs to keep his adrenaline up, and so she decides to start blowing him. <laughs> Some good old yeah. Roadhead. Roadhead while he is driving and shooting at people, which is like the, like we've already seen Jason Statham's penis do weird things in this movie. He basically like drove a, he drove so a motorcycle without like, t- like without using the handlebar. He doesn't use his hands. So use your yeah. imagination. If, I mean, Ed, I think it's a little late to say spoiler alert. This movie came out yeah, over 10 you, years ago. If you're listening if you to this podcast, seen it, you've sorry. seen the movie or you will go see the movie. So don't be listening. Even even us spoiling it will not ruin exactly. your enjoyment. Exactly, because I had I had listened to the film. How Did This Get Made episode like three times before I had actually seen the movie, and I still was absolutely shocked because none of it made any sense to me. And it was one of those things where it's like, oh, they're probably just over exaggerating. There's no way this movie is really this nope. crazy, but it's really this. Fucking it is that crazy. crazy. But yeah, so then she gives him Roadhead, and then stops when he's close. And it's just like, well, that's payback for all the times you've fallen asleep. And it's like, her her <laughs> list of priorities in this movie is so fascinating. Because, like... She really, she, she really is she in is. her own little world, he's, her own he's little He's like, movie. oh, we need to leave your apartment earlier in the movie. It's like, we need to leave your apartment and get away. And he's just and she's just like, well, fix my clock. Because, like, daylight savings time happened and now my clock is off again. <laughs> and it's like, I want to know what movie she thought... Like, not, not Amy Smart, because Amy Smart was obviously aware of what movie she was in. I want to know what what movie Eve, the character, thought that she was in. Yeah. And, like... In her own mind, she is the lead character, and Shiv is yes, just kind exactly. of Yes, exactly. It's just, like, all of this shit happening. I almost want... I would love to, like... <laughs> Like how they say like, well, what what about like this classic story from this character's perspective or whatever? It'd be funny to like make yes. Prank from Eve's point of view and like there would be a just really have, interesting like, the cinematography movie. be so different and like the the music and all of the pacing and whatever. But then still have the like complete like balls to the wall moments just like in the background. That would be amazing. Because the whole sort of preface like the when we first meet her, it's, it's some middle point in the movie. Trev is dying. He's killed a whole bunch of people, and she just wakes up on her couch and takes a hit from her bong, and that's that's our I introduction like to in the her. Afternoon. And she's all, <laughs> yes, and it, it's an amazing character. It's so great. It's just, but yeah. So, so to kind of let's see. I, I told you I was like, we're gonna save us for the podcast. I was looking at her IMDb because I was like, well, what has she done since this movie? Like, I felt like I knew her from something else, which I mean, I've kind of like, like she was in Scrubs. She was in... Um, oh, that's right. She, I mean, she's been in a lot of the, like, um, like big 
early 2000s comedies of like like win a date with tad hamilton and like yeah oh, gosh, like the yeah. best man and just she was the it yeah, girl she for was. a while it, or she was like the it girl's like best friend like if you wanted to have like an a-list or b like the, the it girl that your generic white male protagonist like lusts over the whole movie then amy smart was like the best friend kind of but so but so like she did all of that and then she she's done like a ton of um robot chicken She's done, like, six episodes of that. She played, oh. like, Princess Leia, and... She also was unjustified for a bit. So she's done some smaller films and yeah, some Yeah, and TV Shameless, work. which I don't watch. I don't have any desire to watch. But, like, it seems like a ton of people have been on Shameless. But so my favorite thing yeah. is the, one, the middle post-production credit that is listed on her IMDb. Do you have it open, babe? Uh, so middle post production. Uh, what? Avengers of Justice yes. Force Wars. <laughs> so click on what that. The? So so this almost feels like a movie that we need to cover once this movie comes out because I did not know this existed until about half an hour ago and I start I started laughing okay. out loud and was just like we need to save this for the so, podcast. I'm gonna read the log line <laughs> for the first time. I don't know anything other than the title. So the log line is. While trying to remain a good husband and father, Superbat <laughs> and the Avengers of Justice come out of retirement to stop Dark Jokester and Lisp Luther from freezing the planet. This sounds batshit insane, and it I need like to see like this. It sounds like the like scary movie and like superhero movie type stuff, but it but like it was made on like a five dollar budget. Yeah, but then my favorite thing is that there's, like, people who put it in their list of, like, most anticipated movies of 2018, and I'm like, really? (laughs) Like, really? But so, yeah, so she's... So she's the lead as Jean 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 Wonder. Wonder. And then... Steve Franzese, you know, everybody's favorite truth teller, is Super Bat. And I just just love the character names. Like, Dark Jokester, Beaverine... Incredible Master Yogurt. <laughs> Yoga, not Yoga. yogurt. <laughs> Tony Starch, Lando Fury. This is such like, we're going to take all your favorite pulp culture icons, throw them in a blender, and then fuck it. We're going to leave it out, let it, you know, ferment for a while, and maybe put it out. But, like, as people who eat, sleep, and breathe superhero content, this is amazing. Like, <laughs> this is such a stupid combination of things, but we will probably sit through this. We have to. Exactly. We have to. We just have to get like super drunk and just watch it. That's the only way I'll watch this. Yes. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so that's a whole thing. So that's what Jean that's what um Emma's called a Jean Smart. Amy Smart has been up to since Crank. That is her most recent body of work. But I mean wow. she's been in other things. She's yeah. been in Marin, she's been in Angie Tribeca, like stuff like that. So she she she's gets still around. working. Yeah, which is good. But it's just kind of funny because it's like she her character in this movie is just on a whole other level, and it's so fantastic. Speaking of fantastic, should we dive into these reviews? I for was Crank? just about to pull them up. Hold on, so, let me get it. I'm getting a drink. Hold on, but yeah, you can talk. So, uh, as we said before, we're gonna kind of cherry pick a few reviews from Rotten Tomatoes. So we've we've selected the reviews, we've read them, we haven't shared our thoughts on them with each other, but 
we're going to kind of dissect them here and that'll kind of help a little bit more of a discourse about the movie but so so we have two rotten reviews and one fresh review do Should we want to start do, with the let's start w- with the the i was i was gonna say rotten fresh rotten just that's what i was of, thinking yeah yeah I, I i wrote about the boston globe first so i feel like we could yeah let's start one. with that one so uh just looking at uh rotten tomatoes the reviewer has given crank a two out of four so yeah. on on this rotten tomato scale that's rotten uh, and two it's out also of four funny. it's also funny like actually looking at the rotten tomato scores because everyone's film scores are so subjective it's like one out of five or it's a letter grade or it's whatever you get it's two like, stars you get it's it's it's, it, it's so perplexing it's like okay i guess this is just i i, I mean it, it explains why rotten tomatoes is a thing because doing yeah. all of this math would be difficult <laughs> It's insane. And there's no kind of conversion chart for no. what's two out of four compared to a C or a B or I mean, like, how yeah, many stars We can do relatively basic math, but it still yeah. is kind of like, it's, it's a little confusing. And also my favorite thing was going through the, um, the Rotten Tomatoes for this movie, I would find, like, we would find reviews and there would be like New York Times or the AV Club or whatever. And it would be like relatively big reviews. And then you'd go click on them and they would be gone. Because this movie came out 12 years ago, so it just they just purged the review from their archive. But it's just kind Which of funny to well, and it's funny to me because it took a lot of effort to find like the one fresh review that we were going to talk <laughs> about. Because the several like major outlets that rated it fresh just like deleted their review from their website. It's like oh well, we don't want to we don't want to pretend <laughs> they, that we they were ashamed of that. Yeah, it's like if it wasn't for Rotten Tomatoes, no one would remember that they actually like crank. <laughs> So it was just kind of funny to me. It's just like, that's just like their shame. Just like, no, you just know like my one poll quote that they used on Rotten Tomatoes, but you don't, you don't get to find out like the rest of what I had to say about this movie. So uh, I can't remember if you mentioned before, but Crank on Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter is at 61%. Which is high. It is very high. It's higher than I had expected. Yeah. The average rating is six out of 10. There are a, a review... A total review count of 93, 57 fresh, and 36 rotten. Yeah. Is that like on the professional scale? Or I'm trying to remember. Because so I know there's like the user thing too. I'm pulling so up the So that is on the right professional now. scale. Yeah. So next is the audience score, which yeah. is a 71% <laughs> with an average rating of 3.5 out of 5 and uh, a little over 400,000 user ratings. God damn. My favorite thing is that it's not like the audience scores or are like a, a review of people who just walked out of the movie. It's people who deliberately take it upon themselves to go to Rotten Tomatoes and then rate the movie themselves. So exactly. it's like so it's like out of those half a million people that decided to go and do that, only seven out of ten of them actually liked it. Which is kind yeah, of impressive. No one's gonna take the time to leave a review if they just enjoyed it you have to really like or hate a movie to exactly leave a review and most people enjoyed this movie and they are not wrong exactly well and it is so kind of, i would love to get that kind of like percentage and stuff just out of interviewing every single person who walked out of a screening of crank like once the movie was over you stop every person and say yes or no and then tally it i would have been so curious what that rating would have actually been because i feel like it would have been significantly lower than 71 percent. oh god yeah i because this definitely developed a, a cult following yeah it's that just, just kind of latched onto it and and 
it's it's like what you did. He's like, I, there's this batshit insane crazy movie. You need to sit down and watch this. Yeah, but it's like I can't imagine. Like we, I, I still can't imagine people actually going to go see this in the theater. Like it would have been really fun to see on the theater. I or in a theater. I, I imagine like big screen craziness that would have been really cool to look at but it's just like i can't imagine like all right honey let's go on our date night this thing kind of looks like speed and we kind of like speed <laughs> so hopefully there it's better be than nothing out that weekend god it was memorial day or no oh, labor god. day let me check because one of the reviews says let me see. Yeah, it was Labor Day. Because the fresh review that we have says that this movie cements Labor Day as Jason Statham Day. Because the year before that, Transporter 2 had come out. And that also starred him. And it came out on Labor Day. So it was like, Jason Statham owns Labor Day weekend. Which I'm like, it would be funny to look at like what the Labor Day weekend movies are now. It's really <laughs> like, sad that he still doesn't own Labor Day. <laughs> I know. I'm just it was like, like can... how they used to call uh, Will Smith Mr. July. Yeah. Every year he had a hit movie every July, every summer, and you could just bank on him making tons of money. Yeah. Not so much anymore, but, like, yeah. it, Statham almost, could have had Labor Day. It's crazy that, like, we almost don't have that anymore as a culture. Like, we have, like, companies that are able to do that. It's like, okay, so the first weekend of March or of May is going to usually be, like, a Marvel movie does yeah, really well. Yeah, you can well. always... You, you could know, always yeah. bank on them opening the summer with yeah. some big movie. Or like Star Wars around Christmas time now and all this sort of stuff. It's like we have that with studios, but it's it's interesting to me that we don't have that as like geared towards like specific actors, which is kind yeah, of that, interesting. You, you don't see that too much anymore. I mean, there might be a, one or two that I can't think of offhand. The only one I could think of right now is The Rock. Yeah, but he's, he's just kind of draw. all. But it, but he's a big draw regardless of what time of year it is. I'm sure if you looked that at like true. his filmography, like just from off the top of my head, like his movies come out like all over the year. It's not like it's geared towards like oh, it's the summer of the rock because uh, all of his a movies. He, he really is though. It's ridiculous. But <laughs> so ready for Shazam and Black Adam. God, God yes. <laughs> I, I'm still at Baywatch, man. It's going to be ridiculous. Uh, oh, yeah, we're ready. We, we, have, we have stuff lined up for Baywatch. Get, get ready, people. So, um, but so yeah. which review do we want to... Boston Globe. Boston Globe. Yeah, let's... let's so, so, so starting with that one. Um, so this guy gave it a two out of four. Yes, which is I good. I feel like looking over this review, it's kind of middle of the road. Mm-hmm. I, Although, I so like here's, here's the crazy thing with me about this movie the language between rotten and fresh reviews is almost like indistinguishable. Like, it is. Like people writing about it, saying certain things about it, like are, it, it can be viewed in a negative context and it can be viewed in like an overly positive context. It just depends how, on how you're choosing to read it. There's no like language in particular that says like, Oh, well they did this thing and this thing's awful. It's more just like they did this thing and it was crazy. And it's like, well, is this good crazy or bad crazy? But so I just found that kind of fascinating because you yeah, don't really get that. Yeah, it's very subjective. Yeah, and like, well, and you don't really get that with like other, uh, like more typical movies. It's like the negative reviews are more overwhelmingly negative. Whereas this one is just like, even if a review is negative, they're still going to be like, this is insane. And let's appreciate how insane this is. Exactly. I feel like I get that from both of the rotten reviews the the reviewers understand what they're going for it's just not their particular taste yeah in action movie yeah um because as the the boston globe review says uh 
only action diehards will make it to the final credits satisfied though me i need a nap uh so i don't know how he could have been so bored and out of it i don't think it's bored i think it's more overwhelmed i I think i I think that's kind of more what he meant by that possibly was where it's more like like i don't understand what's going on and i feel like someone just like pulled me by the hair and like dragged me around like a hundred miles yeah because it's it's very not your typical action flick yeah because it just kind of like we were saying earlier it goes right into it it doesn't waste time you're just thrust into this crazy situation and you just got to go with it you're along the ride with jeff chelios and (laughs) you just gotta hold on otherwise you're gonna fall behind exactly like this is one of those movies you can't watch this while doing something else because you will you will look at your other thing for about five minutes and suddenly he's driving a car through a crowded mall and And crashing it on the escalator which is my favorite i love that scene so much and the runtime for this movie isn't long. It's a little over an hour and a half. It, no, it's it's 83 minutes, I think. So it's a very tight movie. Like, it, there's not a lot of fat to it. It's astounding. Like, I, it's it's almost a short film because it's, like, technically under the classification of being less than 90 minutes, which is insane to me. It's like, could you imagine this at, like, a short film festival? Just, like, that would be insane. pretentious, like, student work, and then all of a sudden it's just like, all right, strap in. We got an hour and 23 minutes of Chev Chelios. <laughs> but it really it really belongs there, though, almost. It, it does. It, it's so artistic. Yes. In all the choices it makes. And all the reviews, I noticed, point that out from yeah. uh, all the kind of little graphics uh, placed in, all the, like, the, the weird CGI, silly... Like car on the escalator, yes. the the pumping heart, and yeah, yeah. We'll just say the CGI in this movie is not great. There's no. like there's there's a couple moments where you can tell it's almost as if it was a choice on their part of like how bad can like I, I almost wonder if they deliberately made the CGI bad or if it was just bad because of the time that the movie came out. Because I think it was a it was a I think it was a whole bunch of factors, uh, shoestring yeah. budget, yeah, time and fuck it, who cares? Yeah, well, because there were two moments. It was when he crashes the car on the escalator and then jumps off of it. You can obviously tell that he's like green screened in there, because there's no way they could have realistically like crashed a car into an escalator. No. Even though it's crazy, the day that we're recording this, the car crashed into Times Square and looks very similar to how Chef Chelios' car yes. kind of ended up. But so there's that, and then in the like final scenes of the movie when he is falling out of the helicopter, you can tell it's almost like Superman 1 level of effects of like, I'm just sitting on a board with a green screen, green screen. and I'm just flailing around, and this is supposed to look like I'm flying. Yeah, it's it's insane, but it works because if they played this movie straight, mm-hmm. it you could tell as like, oh, tonally this doesn't work; it's falling apart. But because of what this movie is, those subpar uh, special effects work, and I totally buy into it, and I don't care. It doesn't take me out of it at all. Everything adds to it. It's like, of course, this is the world that this is going to be in, of like everything just being absolutely insane. But so going to the Boston Globe review, one thing that I found funny is two of the reviews mentioned how they didn't screen the movie for critics, which is kind of hilarious to me. Because it's like, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall of, like, the room full of critics who, like, see the trailer that makes it, like, cut to look like it's speed. 
and like who sit down and watch the movie and are just taking notes and don't understand what the fuck they were expecting because they had this total expectation of a straightforward action flick yeah and they get something else yeah so it's like i would have been i would have loved to have been a fly on the wall because it's like how many people genuinely liked it did anyone like audibly respond in a particular way or were they all just like what the fuck and then scribbling down and then what the fuck and then scribbling and just the whole 83 minutes or yeah 83 minutes because it would have just been really fascinating to have seen that and despite all this the globe review says it's violently preposterous fun yeah so he he buys into that part yeah which if you can't get behind the action in this movie yeah, I don't know what kind of action movie would appeal to you because it's insane. Yeah. Well, the the choreography from it. And then it, it, you could tell that Statham is really in there. You could because there's not a, the, like they use quick cuts or they use extreme close ups. So it's like, oh, we can't show our stunt double or anything. But he is he's doing all of this. He's into it. Yeah. It's like I, I, I never noticed a particular moment where there was like obviously a stunt double. And I feel like that's just kind of Statham's background. I feel like he's he's more willing to do his own stunts, especially when there's stunts like these where they're kind of like low risk. It's just kind of like him falling off of a bike or like yes. a dude pushing him down or whatever. I'm sure that's like an everyday occurrence for him almost to where he would be able to do it in a movie and not necessarily need a stunt double. But yeah, speaking of, uh, uh, whoa, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to, back to the Globe review. Yeah. He, he totally buys into the preposterous fun, as he yeah. says. Uh, but then he goes on to say uh, the character is saddled with a profoundly stupid name, Chev Chelios. <laughs> Which and just, I love people How do you not buy into this, the name either? I know, but I love, I love people trying to actually dissect that as a name. Because there's, like... Of course, of course, his name is going to be Chev Chelios. His name's not going to be John Smith or because, whatever. Yeah, if this he, totally if, fits in that crazy action hero trope. He's it, going it, to have a ridiculous name. It fits into like a video game that you're playing while you're just like on 18 cans of Red Bull or whatever. Like, of course, if like, of course, exactly. that sounds like a Grand Theft Auto name, like Chev Chelios, which is exactly what they're going for. Although I do love in the Boston Globe review that. He's, he says that Jason Statham suggests Woody Harrelson's feral brother with less hair and a dash more brains. And so I wrote that down, and then my note was, I now need a comedy where they play brothers. That would be insane. <laughs> I would watch that. Because I, I never made the comparison of him and Woody Harrelson, but I totally can see it now. And it would just be kind of hilarious to see, like, younger brother Jason Statham just, like, super tense and, like always on edge all the time because that's just who he is as a person and then meanwhile Woody Harrelson's just kind of how Woody Harrelson is in every movie just fucking around yeah he's just like having fun super chill all that sort of stuff I'm like that that is a comedic duo that I did not know I needed until I read this review but I'm like really glad that it's there and it's been over 10 years and that still hasn't happened since this review I know. so yeah. I'm disappointed I'm like if, if 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 Hollywood is going to remake twins like <laughs> and and not cast these two i'm trying to remember who it is it might be like kevin hart and the rock or something like that that's in the twins remake that they're trying to get off the ground but it's like it should it like they should totally be in like a movie of, of similar style because that would be absolutely hilarious oh totally yeah and then another note that i have there's one thing in parentheses where the review says don't ask it's not worth explaining and i feel like that in it of itself 
could be like the quote on the box of the DVD for this movie. Oh, that, I was just going to say, yeah, that should be like on the poster, on the DVD cover. That should be the That's, tagline. Because it's like. Just don't go in with any expectations yeah. or questions. Just watch it. Well, and I love. That's all you can do. I love that from a storytelling perspective because like we were talking about this when we were watching it. There's an essence of needing to pay attention the whole time because they're not giving you this exposition in a like conventional Hollywood way. Like if this was made with different direction, different directors and different writers, there would be more of a consistent like first act establishing stuff, and then like the big event would be him getting injected with the speed. But in the meantime, it would be all of this stuff establishing like the different gangs and establishing the girlfriend and whatever. But instead, it starts at the big event and then creates a whole other structure of a movie just from there. Yeah, this movie feels like act three of a larger story. Yeah. And if anyone else made this, this movie would be a half hour longer with that extra half hour dedicated to exposition and world building. Whereas it's kind of seamlessly woven into this movie with little throwaway lines or whatever. It's almost like it's a season finale of a TV show. Like, like they've had like nine episodes to establish... Like, who he is, what his deal is, establish all the gang war and whatever. And then, like, him waking up with the injection is just the start of, like, this extra long finale. Like Which it, really, like, the opening, um, it really just kind of grabs you. Because there's no this, there's no slow burn buildup mm-hmm. of, like, who the villain is establishing the relationship. <laughs> like, no, they already have this and antagonistic and relationship. From, like, he left a really obnoxious video message. <laughs> like what he calls like a super gay video message just him talking to chev and being like hey guess what i did this to you sucks to suck you're gonna die now and then that and just then starts... and then that first it like within the first couple minutes we already get the premise of the movie yeah there's not like a and big it's like reveal. okay this is what this movie is about yeah it's it's so it's so simple but it's like that sort of simple storytelling is almost it's it's not a scene it's not seen as prominently as like as it should be i feel like this should be taught in film classes <laughs> I know. as a as a tool to work around without having exposition yeah and kind of yeah like i have taken multiple screenwriting classes and they are very much in tune with like the three-act structure and setting up particular things and it's literally down to like okay you can have this many scenes in your act and these two scenes should have this purpose and this scene should whatever and it's so like methodical that it almost like it, it it it's very easy to watch typical movies and just kind of put it's them a, on the background yeah, and know you, what's going on. You get on. that formula going and it's a tried and true formula and this movie just kind of takes it and it's like okay fine we'll uh we'll not do that we're going to do our own thing. Yeah, this movie does not care about that at all and I think that's really admirable because it's so just so crazy. But yeah, um another quote that I had was just out of context it says when in doubt the hero puts his hand in a waffle iron and i just love that just as a sentence because that's cause like I, that's like when i insane. that's like when i've had to write riverdale recaps for work and i had to put the maple syrup blood feud <laughs> and i was just like <laughs> what am i writing right now that is actually canon for this thing and i was just kind of amazed that that i was in the situation of needing to do that so I'm going to move over to the San Francisco review. Okay. Uh, and there's this quote. Um, it's it's from 
towards the end of the review. Also, we should point out the San Francisco is our second Rotten review. Yes. So that's kind of like um, our tiebreaker because we both like this movie. We agree that it's not like a traditionally great movie, but it still is so much fun. Like it's such a good thing to watch that it's not. We're not going to look upon it on a, in a negative way. We're gonna just have the like, holy shit, we're glad this movie exists kind of mentality. Because the positives in this movie so outweigh the negatives. Exactly. That it's, so, in the San Francisco review, it says, in the final analysis, if analysis applies here, which it doesn't really, <laughs> Crank is shameless. I say this with love. Self-awareness is the trademark of good trash entertainment, and Cranker revels in its own cartoonish and offensive excess. And that's exactly what the movie is, despite the reviewer giving it a rotten score. That's what's crazy to me. It's like both of the rotten reviews are worded so positively. Like It's like it's they like, understand what the movie is, yeah. but it's not for them, yeah. which I, do, I, I understand. And it's also like, are you trying to base this review off of other movies that you've seen like other movies that were out that weekend and you're saying well this compared to like the day the earth stood still or whatever like obviously this is a much weirder and not as conventionally good movie but it's like it's like is it still a better movie than those other ones that are more conventional not necessarily which is because the reviewer goes on to say uh, or leave your brain and pocket change at the gate strap yourself in and just enjoy the ride yeah which is what we've been saying, and I don't know why they gave it a negative review. I don't, I don't know if they were expecting something more, but I don't, I, I'd like to see what their expectations were, like you were saying before, before reviewing it and after, or like before seeing it and after seeing it. Yeah, I'm like, if if any of these people are on Twitter, you know, tweet at us, DM us, and like let us know what you think. Cause Give I us am, your crank thoughts. Because I am genuinely curious what you thought of Crank when you were when you saw it 11 years ago. But um, but yeah, and one thing that I found kind of funny is that just kind of looking at the three reviews as a whole, I feel like the the only real standout thing that is negative about the negative reviews and positive about the positive reviews is how they perceive um, Amy Smart's role in the movie. Because it's like both the Boston Globe and San Francisco Chronicle are very aware of the fact that she is just this like archetype of a character and that she's played so like one-dimensionally and how sort of problematic that is because it would be kind of cool I was kind of thinking about it as I was reading these reviews I'm like imagine if this was like a woman in Jason Statham's role or if there were like more women involved in here in general like there would be such weird opportunities for storytelling it wouldn't necessarily fall in with like the video game and action movie genre of the time but it would still be this whole thing of like really complex and like fucking weird characters that they would be able to bring into this universe that would be yeah because i can't really think of kind of another uh, female-led action movie with that kind of feel and tone to it where just non-stop the only I guess thing we'll I can think, yeah, like Atomic Blonde. Which that's exactly out, what yeah. I was going to say. Yeah, that's like the only thing which he and I, like we've had discussions about this, about how I'm really excited for that in large part because it, it seems so drastically different from its source material. Um, I read The Coldest City a couple of months ago. Um, I highly recommend it, but it's also 
so different from what I was expecting based off of the trailers for Atomic Blonde that I'm glad that they've had the creative liberty to be able to just like completely do whatever go crazy with it when it's like that's a story that works really well in that format and not so much as just like a very bleak like Cold War kind of spy thriller sort of thing but yeah so like looking at the negative reviews like let's see like Boston Globe says um Smart does what she can to make the character a charming ditz, but by the time Eve is having public sex with Chev on a crowded Chinatown sidewalk, believability has been tossed out the window. And then in the San Francisco Chronicle, it says, Smart, in a role that belies her name, or I don't, I don't know how to say that word, fares worse. If Eve the dumb blonde chick is meant to satirize an action film stereotype, it falls a hundred miles short. So it's kind of interesting that these reviewers went into this film trying to look for like feminist analysis. And that was back in 2006. They were really ahead of the curve there. Yeah, I know. I'm like, good on y'all. Because it's like, that's, I mean, that's like the lens that I watch a lot of movies in is like, okay, this female representation is like multifaceted or not. But like this movie is so outside of the periphery that I'm like, I'm aware that it has one dimensional representation, but it's almost a parody of movies that aren't aware of it. You could almost look at Eve as, like, she is clearly a very one-dimensional character, but the one-dimensional is of it kind of lends itself to being satirical on that trope of that one-dimensional, you know, the arm candy in action movies. Exactly. It works both ways. Um, I'm trying to see what else. Um, Yeah, because now I'm kind of glancing over the the last review, and it's from... Real Views. Yeah, Real uh, Views. RealReviews.net, <laughs> um, which I was not familiar with Me before. neither. I've never turned to that for a movie review source, but it was one of the longest and most thorough positive reviews of this movie that, that wasn't taken down when their website changed. So, so here's, a, here's a pull quote. Yeah. Uh, going back to something we discussed earlier. Crank was not screened for critics, which was arguably a mistake. <laughs> and I agree with him because yeah. he, he just goes on to gush about how it's just mindless entertainment yeah. and there's all the carnage and mayhem. He says there's ripe dialogue uh, and he totally knows what this movie is going for Yeah, and he loves it. Yeah, well, because he, yeah, yeah, because like that's the that's the one thing that I said was like a huge positive difference between the two was that he's the like he he talks the the least about Eve as a character because he just calls her like delightfully ditzy, and then that's the end of it. Like he's aware that she's playing this like archetype that is so absolutely ridiculous, which is kind of interesting to me. But yeah, his review, it's funny. I kept forgetting that like snakes on a plane was a thing. But, like, his review goes in depth about how similar this movie is to Snakes on a Plane, which I is was just kind thinking, of great. It, and that's, I feel like if it had been marketed like that, it would have done better because yeah, I don't, I don't remember this movie being marketed back in 2006, but they go on to say it was compared to Speed in the way it was marketed and advertised. And it's kind of inaccurate. Sure, it's it has a similar concept, yeah. but tonally it's more in line with Snakes on a Plane. Yeah, that's like, I'm trying to think of two movies that would, like, have a similar concept, but wouldn't have the same sort of execution. It's like, I can't even think of an example, but there is kind of that sort of discrepancy. It's like you're, you're looking at it based off of what the plot is, or what of, like, the synopsis is, and not so much what 
like the actual tone and the whole goal of the movie is exactly because like the goal of speed and the goal of crank are not the same thing like at all like crank i I mean mean, speed was kind of its own sort of version like a more mainstream version of this of like weird and crazy and like fighting down to the like down to the wire type stuff but it's not really it was a traditional action movie yeah it's not this that happened to have a a crazy larger than life scenario yeah. but it was still very by the book yeah and and then it was followed by speed to cruise control which i have actually <laughs> seen more of than i have seen of speed and I, is that the one with the boat yes that is the one with yeah. the boat so keanu reeves is not in it um sandra bullock is and and keanu reeves is replaced by I can't type and talk at the same time. Is replaced by Jason Patrick. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And Willem Dafoe is the bad guy. And of course he is. It is. Yeah, that's a prequel to Aquaman. <laughs> it's just like him, him fucking around on a boat. And then I, I think if you also live in the speed universe yeah. and you see Sandra Bullock, don't go on any form of transportation exactly, with her. Exactly. We need to cover that movie on here because I haven't seen it in so long. But it Same. is it, it, it's due for a rewatch. It is a masterpiece in the absolute worst way. It's like, oh, what are two things we like that did well? Speed and Jaws. Not Let's throw the them same together. thing. <laughs> Not the same thing. But yeah, so but yeah, I can't I mean like I can understand why this was marketed that way in a more I mean it's funny to see even back 11 years ago how much trick like tricking went into the art of movie trailers because like we see that we see that very prevalently now where it was like like passengers and like collateral beauty and all of these movies where like the trailer was cut in this way that was almost a completely different movie from what it actually was and so many people were pissed about it because it's like you spent millions and millions of dollars marketing this movie and then still 90 percent of the audience went in with a completely different idea and it's just crazy to think that like that happened on a smaller scale even like 11 years before that and that's exactly like this whole kind of Rotten Tomatoes thing where people will read advanced reviews or at least yeah. little snippets, look at the score, have yeah. that preconceived notion. Oh, the reviewers liked it or they didn't like it. So when I see it, I'm going to have that, that kind of mentality uh, going into watching the movie. Yeah. Well, I'm, so I, yeah. And I can't, Rotten Tomatoes wasn't really a thing when this movie came out, at least yeah. if it was, no one really kind of it in the regard we do now for better or for worse well and that's part of why we started this podcast was to kind of look at how i mean and it's using rotten tomatoes as a channel but like we're not endorsed by rotten tomatoes obviously we're not affiliated with them in any way but it's it's mainly just kind of looking at the art of movie reviews and the culture of movie reviews and seeing like how that has changed over time because like the reviews for crank are going to be drastically different in I mean, the reviews for Crank are going to be drastically different from everything. But, like, the reviews from a movie that just came out two weeks ago versus a movie that came out 10 years ago versus a movie that came out 30 years ago, the review culture is going to be completely different. And that's kind of what's fun about these, like, going through these different movies. And I, I'd be curious to see if, if, if any of these reviewers who would like to revisit their reviews and kind of update them. Yeah. Having having a decade in between. Yeah. And see if it would change at all. If they 
watched the movie again uh, with kind of the changing landscape of movies and reviews to see if they still enjoy them, if they still enjoy the movie or still, nah, it's not for me kind of thing. Well, and like, I know that Entertainment Weekly does that sometimes. Like, they'll have little, um, in like a throwback issue or whatever, they'll have a little section where it'll be, here's these reviews that we gave at the time of a thing coming out, and we said that this thing was horrible, and now it's like a cultural icon. And, or like vice versa, it'll be like, oh, well, this is the biggest movie of 2006, and then it really isn't. It just fades away. Yeah. So it's just kind of, it, it is fascinating to see that because it's like the reviews are so centric into how you feel the particular time that you're watching that movie and not so much um, how, like, how you actually will think about that movie in a couple of months or a couple of years after the fact. And that's the whole thing about kind of how internet culture is so very, you're either at one end of the spectrum or you're at the other. There's not a lot of middle ground. Yeah. You either love it or hate it. And you kind of buy into the hype, whether it's positive or negative, and you just kind of stay with that. Uh, and you don't really reflect or kind of criticize the thing because you could just kind of, it's like, oh, everyone else is loving this thing. I loved it too. I don't know if I love it because I do or because if everyone else does and they're convincing me. So it's kind of this yeah. confirmation bias. Yeah. And you just kind of surround yourself with people who dislike or like the thing that's being discussed yeah well and like we're guilty of that too like oh like our our biggest example is batman versus superman which is but for both of us is like one of our favorite movies but it's one of it was it sparked this whole sort of culture of you either really like the movie or you really hate the movie but then even like a year out from the movie being released it's been interesting to see how that culture has kind of shifted because there have been people who kind of ganged up on it when it came out because everyone else thought that it was going like they kind of followed the mob mentality but then they watched it again like six months later and it completely changed for them and they were like okay now i can really appreciate this like as a movie now that i'm distant from the culture of how it is reviewed i really think like maybe five, ten years from now, this is going to be one of those movies, the Batman Superman, yeah. that people will look back on. It's like, oh, wait a minute, that wasn't as bad as I had initially yeah. thought. Yeah, like we, uh, we totally dropped the ball in pretending that that was a horrible movie. Like, Whereas where something like, I don't know, people won't have a reverence for like Thor 2 Ragnarok. Well, not Thor, that, not Ragnarok. <laughs> you mean Thor or the not, Dark? I mean yeah. Dark World, yeah. Like, like Ragnarok, something like Thor Dark World. Yeah, uh, or like, even like Doctor Strange. It's like, like okay, so we've, we've even had that with the Dark World where we've talked about how at the time it seemed like such a great thing and then all of these other comic book movies kept one-upping it and it's like when you go back to it, you're like, this is so formulaic that it's so boring and just not even remotely a standout. And it's like yeah, the same sort of thing we with, have, yeah. Yeah, because we have all this time in between from when the movie's released and all these other ones, we start to see the patterns in all of them because so yeah. many come out and we start to see the similarities between them. Not that it's necessarily bad that they all kind of use that same, going back to that simple three-act formula that action movies have that crank just throws away yeah uh but uh, like a lot of the mcu movies kind of stick to that formula it's worked for them it makes them bank so why don't fix it if it's not broken yeah but also it's like 
taking there's a there's a benefit from taking risks is and i think like tying it back around to crank so we're not just on a bvs rant for 20 minutes um but i feel like crank is a good example of like taking risks and it having positive results because it's like there's so much about this movie that shouldn't have worked but in the in the pair like in the set of hands that it did it worked perfectly and it's it's crazy to me like it's it's still crazy to me i'm sure it was crazy to neville dean and taylor that they actually were able to get a sequel because it's just so it's just Uh, such a weird concept the sequel came three years later it came out in 2009 yes it did so there was some a little time so i at that point it was it had a cult following a strong following people were aware of it at least in that little niche group of crank fans yeah i don't know what crank are crank fans called crankers (laughs) i hope so get cranked i don't know get cranked no i hope crankers because it sounds like wanker, which is a... Oh, yeah, totally Jason, a masturbatory totally a, reference. Well, and totally a Jason Statham <laughs> word. Like, he would call everyone that, kind of. But, yeah, it's like... Well, it, it almost seems like one of those movies that you just, like, find on a, like, on a VHS tape or a DVD, just, like, in the back of, like, a video store or, like, a dollar oh, bin totally. at a place, and you're just like, what is this? And then you have to check it out. Like... I, and... and and I'm almost kind of glad they didn't do a third one. Yeah. Oh, because I have it, a story with the third one. Oh, gosh. Okay. But, yeah, finish your rant, and then I will talk about so, the third cause one. Because I was, was going to say, it'd almost be like them trying to outdo themselves. And I'm afraid that what made the, the first one so good is because they had the self-awareness of being over the top, not pretending to be anything else. And I'm kind of going to compare it to a recent movie, that Triple uh, X movie that came out earlier this year mm-hmm. that brought back Vin Diesel. I feel because the first one is equally ridiculous in its own way, over the top action with uh, Vin Diesel playing the straight man. Uh, and this new one kind of like, we're going to recapture the magic and be ridiculous and over the top. But they did it too much in a way that kind of lost itself. It wasn't like the first one mm-hmm. if that makes any sense yeah okay so i was just kind of i was trying to find the, the full quote for this and then i found some interesting tidbits about the movie so this was in 2012 the header image for this article because it's just like general movie news like just kind of compiled together and the header image for this article is percy jackson if that's any indication <laughs> um but so it's it's during a AMA that Neville Dean and Taylor, or I think just Taylor, yeah, Taylor did on Reddit in 2012. I almost, I already forgot the year that I had just said. <laughs> but so then it says, um, Crank's poisoning was a plot device that was designed to showcase the shit that we could do with cutting and camera movement, but became a metaphor for our entire ADD approach to reality. Which, first of all, I love that, just like as a quote. I think yes. that's great. And it like explains so much of like how they work. Just like and all of the decisions that they really make, which kind of so in the one positive review from Real Views, he kind of that's his one negative, kind of that ADD like uh, super jumpy filmmaking. Yeah, all the jumps, all the graphics, which is, which is crazy. the split screens. because so, he says they overdo it. That's his I don't, opinion, but I don't think they do. I feel like I don't they, either. They establish so much of it to where it's like, well, why? Like, they might as well just keep going with it 
and not just like use that thing once and never use it again. Yeah, it would be weird if they used it only for a couple scenes. Yeah. But to- they use it throughout the whole movie, so it works and for it me. And it just creates this whole tone. Well, and it's almost kind of funny when you were saying the thing about the editing. It boils back to, it's almost interesting how much of that is now seen in like action and superhero movies today. Because, like, yes. like, Captain America Civil War is a really good example where it's, like, the editing is so fast that you almost have to watch it twice over to really understand, first, what you're seeing in front of you on the screen, and then, second, how it actually connects to each other. Like, I'll have, I'll have that with Civil War and with, like, other Marvel movies that are cut the same way where it's, like, I have to rewatch it to understand the actual choreography of the fight scenes and, like, how they meant to go together. Because at, do, at first glance, it's, like, so overwhelming. That's kind of, like, how I feel about Batman Begins. Yeah. A lot of the action yeah. scenes in that one are very, very choppy, a lot of quick cuts. Uh, I think mostly because at that point, Nolan hadn't directed really uh, – anything action driven and he so he just wasn't sure how to go about filming it i mean he he's progressed he's gotten better he's not a really great action director but he's gotten better yeah well and you you've seen that in the years since the dark knight trilogy like inception was a good indication but i feel like with that that there was so much world building with that that like he was able to have it be longer sequences of action to where it fit more his directing and editing style like, I'm thinking about the whole scene in the, like, the hallway where, like, the gravity shifts yes. and they, they're kind of floating around and whatever. That was, that worked better in his directing style and his editing style where it wouldn't have worked in another director's. And now we're remembering that there's, early on in Crank, there's yeah. a tracking shot, a very long tracking yes. shot following him into the, the bar yeah. where he kind of interrogates the guy in the bathroom. Yeah. So it's not like they don't always use... The quick cuts and, and quick scenes so they're able to do tracking shots yeah well, but it's like, very kinetic it's shaky cam so it still yeah. works well and like the kinetic energy felt like feels through the whole movie to where i think what what the positive guy said that he didn't like is one of the things that i really do like of like all of the extra video effects of like the split screen like the split screen where he's talking to efren ramirez and it's like both of them on the phone and then he comes up behind him and then the split screen dissolves it's yes. like that is hilarious because it's that is something I had this seen ridiculous before. effect and it works so well because the whole plot of this movie is absolutely insane. And like that when he's on the phone with people and then all of a sudden their image is projected on the wall. It's like that's such a stylistic like student film almost kind of thing that is is really interesting to see in a movie that has this kind of context behind it. I kind of remember telling you watching this uh, seeing all these graphic decisions and choices it was like if you gave a kid iMovie and he's just now discovering all these swipes and transitions yeah and it's like that's what that's what it feels like for them but they used it so well that it it wasn't overboard or it wasn't like badly done it was like it was done with such a stylistic choice that then that itself became like a character in the movie was like just trying to see like what the effects are going to do and what the what the camera itself is going to do turned it into its own separate and en- like entity within the movie it would feel wrong if a lot of those choices weren't there yeah yeah i totally agree but yeah so I, i'm looking back at the ama because there are two two things in here that are worth sharing so it says crank three will happen probably in 2013 
which I'm disappointed that that didn't happen. Same. But so, I mean, there's still hope. I don't know. Maybe our, our episode of this podcast will invigorate it'll reignite it'll reignite the <laughs> yeah. crankers and we'll start like a, a kickstarter or like a hashtag or something and get it back <laughs> that would be hilarious but so then my favorite thing is that they had a treatment planned out for crank three but then they had to change it given the time that they made the treatment because i'm trying to remember i need to google a thing because if i say the thing then it'll spoil what the treatment idea oh, was okay um, oh, so it, so it was a timely thing. It was a very timely thing. So, okay, that, that answers my question that I thought of what I thought. So their initial plan for Crank 3 was to, it says, we were going to have Chelios track down Osama bin Laden, but then that got fucked up. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little bit. But yeah, see, so, I, could, so, I almost wish that. I'm kind of disappointed in them because to me they're the kind of filmmakers who are like fuck it who cares we'll just do yeah. it anyway. Yeah, they could they could still do it, but it's kind of funny because you can tell so like crank like high voltage came out in 2009 and so this was in 2012 when they said that that got fucked up. Bin Laden died in 2011. So somewhere in those 2 years they floated around that idea and worked with it and almost had it ready to make. Which, like, I still would have wanted to see that movie. It's not like, I mean, like, the interview came out, and that was about as timely and about as, like, referencing actual politics as you could get within something that crazy. So it's like they totally could have done that with this of, like, well, why not? Why not just have him inexplicably go around and try to track bin laden like i can understand the social political reasons not to but it still would have been kind of amazing to see how that would have happened and i, I even just, if they yeah. kind of retool it to kind of have some stand-in for yeah bin laden or just just make it for the hell of it and have it set i don't know back in 2012 or 2013 yeah. it would have it would be so great well and i love it just as a concept because it progressively one-ups their concepts for the first two movies it's and see, like, and it's, like a few minutes ago i was worried like i don't know how they're gonna top this and like <laughs> oh, oh of course naturally the progression of this would him be taking down osama bin laden exactly and it's like it's like it's a it's it's very much like a video game trilogy it's like okay the first one has this this insane but still relatively basic concept and then the second one takes that concept and totally like fucks it over and makes this really crazy thing out of it and then the third one is like this crazy boss level of a concept that just seems absolutely insane and it's like it's such a natural progression that i almost wish that crank 3 had been made because that would have been so much fun but i think that was i mean like a it was the fact that bin laden actually died and b i think they were making um ghost rider and a couple of other things around that time that's right it was kind of difficult for them to devote their attention to that and i think by then like statham had gotten kind of bigger to where it was like probably a scheduling thing but god i like i want to live on the earth where that movie happened because it would have been absolutely insane where we could have had the full crank trilogy yes god crankagey (laughs) crankagey that sounds so weird but yeah yeah, so I, great. I think that's mostly it for our... I'm trying to read over my notes and see if we have anything else for the, re- the reviews. And then we had one more idea for a segment to kind of wrap things up. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I've, I I think I've said my piece. Me on too. Crank. Absolutely. Just go go fucking see it. Yeah, go see it. <laughs> if just you're go, still listening, just pause this. <laughs> go back. Yeah, if you're still you listening and you earlier. haven't seen Crank, go see Crank. But no, if you if you don't own Crank and you were waiting for our opinion first before you go to see Crank, just go go dive headfirst into the like the dollar DVD bin at Target or Walmart. You because there's at least five copies sitting yeah, in it you, right now. Yeah, you will find it there. Like it, it'll find you, and hopefully there will be. I hope there's like a double feature one of like Crank and Crank Two because they're just so great to appreciate. They they need a little bit of time between them. That was what I realized when I needed yeah. like when I watched them in one sitting. But like they they are so insane that you need time to process both absolutely, of them. Absolutely, yeah. Well, and it's crazy thinking about how there was like three years in between one and the other, because it's like you would have thought, okay. Like I've ha- I've I've made my peace with this movie. This movie's wrapped up. It's not gonna have anything more. And then all of a sudden, it adds like it comes up with a sequel, and you're like, well, what the fuck are they going to do from here? And just seeing what they do come up with is kind of mind-boggling and also really fascinating. Cause yeah. I I have that whatever with, they yeah. do next, I'm I'm gonna me too I'm gonna watch it. I'll me be too. there. Yeah. Well, so like, okay, so tying into our last segment, so we were we were kind of floating around an idea for a segment to end things off of casting both the director of the film, if it's some, if it's a director that's actually noteworthy enough, and then casting so certain people within the cast within superhero movies or superhero properties. So obviously, Neville Dean and Taylor have already touched Ghost Rider, but we were kind of floating around as we were watching the movie. We were like, what other Lobo? Yeah, Lobo. We were kind of floating around what other Lobo. properties would they want to, or would they be Lobo, perfect Lobo, for? Lobo, Lobo, <laughs> Lobo. Babe. But so, so obviously Lobo is the biggest suggestion. We also said it would be interesting to see an alternate universe where they directed Deadpool instead of Tim Miller. Because that movie would have been so it different, been insane. but for like good in a good way yeah like we're, we're i'm overly happy with the deadpool that we got like i would not have wanted to change it but it would have been just such an interesting alternate like alternate approach to the deadpool i think i suggested it, to you while we were watching i was like i want them to make a movie where it's like deadpool just like time traveling where it's like deadpool in like the 70s and like just killing people and it's this whole like pulpy gangster kind of film but with deadpool and like with their kind of style applied to it, I was like, yeah, that would be really interesting. Their, str- their strength is a crazy concept, not yeah. Because so, the Tim Miller Deadpool, yeah, has a surprising amount of heart to it. Yeah, and it's and not. I don't think that's one so of the, the, the crank directors. Yeah, yeah. I feel like their version of Deadpool wouldn't have been an origin story. It would have been like no. Deadpool, it would have been like ten minutes devoted to the origin story, and then the rest of it would have been here's Deadpool versus this crazy concept from the comic books. But Which would be a total valid movie, and I would enjoy yeah, seeing that. That could still but, exist. Like, I'm glad yeah. that I'm glad that Miller is still very much, and like, I'm glad that the people involved with Deadpool are still very much tied to it. But it, it would have been kind of interesting to see. It'd be interesting to see what they would do with it, and how drastically different it would be from the movie. Because they're obviously they're very capable of doing a solid action movie yeah. on a shoestring budget. Yeah. Well, and they they're capable of doing superhero movies too cuz it's like Spirit of Vengeance is not a good superhero movie, but it, it still follows the conventions of it while still doing their aesthetic and their like style 
throughout the whole thing. Like, you can very much tell that it's their version of a superhero movie. It's not like the studio intervened too much, but there's still very much this weird balance between, like, their crazy balls-to-the-wall stuff and, like, hey, we actually need to have this movie be, like, a marketable, like, property. Which is why I think they would work so well with Lowe because it's a character that they could just let loose with. Yeah. And just not give a fuck and do whatever because it works for Lobo. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and like, I mean, and looking at their, their filmography, they did um, Jonah Hex as well. Like they wrote it, they didn't direct it, but it kind of like, like you were saying, it says a lot about how they work and how they like, like, of course this obviously makes sense that they would have written Jonah Hex because it's kind of a very similar sort of balance between like crazy stuff and like just stereotypical superhero movie stuff like back when there wasn't necessarily a set formula it was still kind of like everyone doing their own sort of thing and their style kind of lends themselves to those more obscure exactly characters yeah like and that's why lobo would be perfect like he's a well-known character amongst comic book fans but i wouldn't necessarily he's not like a household a household name where a bunch of people would immediately go out and see a movie starring him. It's like, you talking about Sheriff Lobo? No. Yeah. Let me teach you a thing. Yeah. But like, so yeah, they would be perfect for like a grindhouse style, crazy Lobo movie. So start the, start the campaign now. Start the Twitter campaign now. Cause that would be so And if so that doesn't cool. work, f- f- put them on Suicide Squad 2. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, all of the options for Suicide Squad 2, except for Mel Gibson, who I think is out of the running, um, all of the options that they have are really good, but it would be really fun to see them deal with, like, A, an ensemble movie, because it seems like everything that they have done is very much a smaller scale. Like, Crank has a lot of characters, but it still has this core of, like, five or six people, and that's it. And, like so do a lot of their other movies as well so it'd be fascinating yeah, to see them take i'd like on to like see a, them expand yeah, yeah into an ensemble yeah because it's like everyone would still get their own moment to shine and they would do all of this crazy like imagine just like deadshot with their kind of style and that like would, uh, that would, sign me up it would be so cool i'll be in line yeah well we will be in line anyway but it's like that would be it would be such an like an interesting stylistic choice that it would be so much fun to see but yeah, so that's our thing for Neville Dean and Taylor. Um, I was trying to figure out, when I was doing research before, I figured out that the bad guy in this movie, whose name is escaping me, and I'm looking right now to figure it out, um, Jose Pablo Cantillo. I totally butchered that name. <laughs> I'm like trying to, not, trying to not sound super white while I was saying uh. that name. But so we, I was looking because I was like, well, has anyone been in a superhero property before? And he's actually been in um, two episodes of Constantine, which is an amazing show. You need to watch if you haven't watched it already because it is a pure, perfect Clearly. show. But so it's interesting to me that he was in those two episodes because I don't remember him at all. Me neither. I need to revisit that show just in general. Yeah. yeah. So CW Seed, watch it now. You won't regret it. But so I was kind of wondering, like, who would you cast Jason Statham as in any sort of superhero property? I, I, for the life of me, this is one I cannot figure out. Me neither. It's like there's so much, there are so many options that could work, but everything is almost like it, it's such a stylistic choice. 
I would just put him as Chev Chelios in the MCU or something. <laughs> just have him just be there. Just have, he, have Chev, Chev Chelios, Chelios is a superhero. Just have him join the Justice League. Just like, yeah, it's, I like, I, I thought about it before this and I could not come up with anything because there are almost, there's too many options, but nothing specifically fits him. No. It, He's not uncastable, but there's nothing that stands out to me that, screams like i don't yeah <laughs> I pulled there's up a, nothing i pulled up a list of superheroes just to see it would be kind of let's see <laughs> like everything that i'm thinking of would be like a really weird stylistic choice like it would be like it'd be crazy to see him as like booster gold just for the hell of it like oh, one gosh. one earth's version of booster gold or like someone in the fantastic four or whatever <laughs> like it would be so crazy but like he, he really could work in basically anything but he yeah yeah because he's an actor that he knows his range yeah and he kind of just plays to that and that's why he kind of sticks to those kinds of movies like crank transporter yeah. spy oh i've got it he should be plastic man <laughs> just That'd like be insane just like super like playing it super straight and super serious which is like what what the world needs for plastic man because like <laughs> plastic man's not taken seriously enough not so at just, all. i'm just picturing him with just like the super like grimace on his face and then just like extending arm to just like sock someone in the jaw and now i want that to be a thing okay um <laughs> he could Oh, okay. So one, I don't know why I didn't think of this before, but it's uh, it's more of an X Men villain. Yeah. Uh, Taskmaster. Oh, yeah. That would totally work. <laughs> okay, so now I'm going the villain route with him. Um, this is kind of a left field choice. I don't know if I would 100% like it, mm-hmm. but I could almost see it working. Captain Cold. Oh. Oh my god! <laughs> he has that cold oh enough god, demeanor he, oh about god, him. Oh my god! blew my mind. You just because I I literally just googled Jason Statham fan cast. Nice. And those two came up, and oh. I'm kind of in love with it. Fuck, that makes me really happy. Like so. Wow, I'm really because that that why so did if, that, so if Fox or DC are listening to this, get him as Taskmaster. Why did that Captain never Cold. like dawn on me before? It's kind of right there. It's so perfect. And also, like, I mean, like, Taskmaster, I'm just picturing, like, Deadpool 3 being, like, Ryan Reynolds and Jason Statham and possibly Josh Brolin as Cable just, like, fucking shit up. And that would be incredible. But also, like, him as Captain Cold would be so good, too. And it's interesting because it's, like, it's like Wentworth Miller's version that we've already gotten on the DC TV, but it would be so much more extra. He could easily play that kind of that blue collar criminal yeah. that has that larger of life quality about him. And like just speaks in quips and is just super ridiculous and is intimidating enough to where every single supervillain in the city is like doing his bidding basically because yes. he's like fucked enough people up. Oh man. And he can pull off the action sequences. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God, so Jeff, Jeff go. Johns, if you're listening, 
Call <laughs> like, Statham up. Like I know the, I know the Flash movies in 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 quite a pickle. It's been in a pickle all the time. Every single day, I swear, there's like new news on the Flash movie, and I'm just God. like, just stop. I'm like, just I don't know. I don't want to know if Billy Crudup is like out or in or whatever. Just it's like so make, damn stressful. Make the movie, and then I will see who's actually in it or not. But yeah. yeah, just one day maybe we'll get it. But one day we will. But guys, for now we have Crank that we can we keep crank. watching yes. over and over again. Yes. God. But yeah, so I guess that's it for our inaugural episode of That'll wrap it up, yeah. Tomato Tomato. We've done an hour thirty, which is really good. Probably way too long for people to be listening to us talking about yes. Crank. But yeah, I don't know. Just put us on the on in the background while you're doing dishes or something. Just oh wow! I hope it doesn't take you that long to do dishes. You, <laughs> I don't know. You must life. work in like I don't know a restaurant. Yeah, if you're if you're working and if you're in listening to this at work, go do your work. <laughs> but yeah, um, I hope that y'all have had fun listening to us. Um, we will be back in the very near future with our second episode. So join us as we yeah. figure out this podcast and figure out our format. Yeah. Oh, where can people find you on the things? Uh, just Google my name or follow me on Twitter at the Chris Vito. That's C H R I S V I T T O E. He tweets about comic books and Food Network. A lot a of Food lot. Network. It's kind I of just watch it a lot. It's insane. Yes, you do. And where so where can I. the people find you? Okay, so I am at Hey It's Jenna Lynn on Twitter and Instagram and the like. Um, I'm probably most active on Twitter nowadays. Um, and then I write for comicbook.com. So if you just look for, if you go to my Twitter, my link in my bio is a link to all of my stories. Or if you just look for like, hey, it's Jenna Lynn as like a member on comicbook.com, you'll find me. Um, I we write- can put links to all of our social yeah. media stuff in yeah, the description. Yeah, that'll be in the description. So you can find that all that way. And we'll link to the reviews that we've talked about. So you can follow along with that too. So yeah, that's pretty much it for everything. That's where to find us. And our pod hey. and the podcast is at Tomato Tomato Pod. So you can be one of our very first follow like followers. Go follow it. Yes. Uh, we, we'll know if you don't. <laughs> we'll know if you do. That's the main thing. Because we'll be like, oh my gosh, another one. But yeah. So we need to figure out a send off. But in the meantime, um, just see you guys next time. Bye. Keep watching movies. Yeah, keep watching movies. Bye. Bye.